Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by Barnabas Piper and uh, Ron Martin. And boys, um, Live in Louisville is fast approaching. If you're, uh, if you're new to the program, welcome. Uh, live in Louisville is a live event happening Sunday, October 22nd in Louisville, Kentucky at a hipster church in which we are going to tape two live episodes in front of uh, a huge audience. Uh, it is a huge happening. We still have tickets left. Uh, visit happyrantpodcast.com and uh, secure a spot at Live in Louisville. There will be cake. There will be sheet cake. There will be game cubes with, uh, with Smash being played. Um, it's just going to be uh, amazing. Boys, are you, any thoughts on, uh, on the event as, as it approaches? What are you, what are you thinking about it? Well, I, I mean, can't believe I'm, it's yeah. I can't believe we're a month away. I mean, on the day of this recording, it is almost exactly a month away. And that seems yeah. crazy considering we've been talking about this thing for well over a year. I mean, a month away from the last day either of us are ever going to have to work again. How do you That's guys feel right. about that? I feel amazing about it. We've actually been talking about it for two years. And we failed to do it last year. Oh, that's right. But this year we talked about it and we're following through, which feels Some, good. Sometimes honest. things drag on so long that time just becomes fuzzy. It I couldn't even keep track of the timeline. I know. I know. You know, what, boys, it's all a part of the story that we're in. You know, we're all in this, in this beautiful unfolding narrative together, the three of us. Think about that. You know? It is. It is quite the story we are living. Pipe, and I want to talk about living stories. But before I do, I want to talk about an actual story from Waterbrook Multnomah that we're promoting on the program today. That was, man, you just segued into something and then segued out, and then I think you're going to segue back into it. That's, Baby, that was beautiful. That was, a, total, that was a, mark a total professional audio yeah. tap dance. I'm Boys, amazed. that's good radio. That's a lot of segue. Yeah, that's a, that is a, that's a radio two-step right there. Uh, the book is Convicted. The subtitle is really, really long, except it's not a Puritan book. It's A Crooked Cop, An Innocent Man, and An Unlikely Journey of Forgiveness and Friendship. Uh, so it's a true story. It took place in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Ted, do you know where Benton Harbor is? I know exactly where it is. If you're driving from like mid-Michigan where I used to live and, and driving to Chicago, you drive right by Benton Harbor. It's right on the kind of southern tip of uh of the lake there and yes it was like the southeast southeast side of the uh, of lake michigan right there there's an unflattering name that michiganders have for for that city and i'm not going to say what it is but uh Uh yeah it's it's purported to be kind of a rough area so um, well that that fits with the story that this book convicted tells because it's the story of a guy named jameel mcgee and a guy named andrew collins um Andrew Collins was a police officer in Benton Harbor who was much more interested in making his numbers and and coming out ahead. And so he framed this other gentleman, the co-author, Jamil, in a drug bust, which got McGee locked up for four years. Later on, Collins was uh, sent to prison for falsifying police reports, so justice caught up with him. Wow. Um, so the story is is that. So there are two respected lives. What led them to that point the things that happened to them in prison, so the difficulty. And the best thing about this is that it's not a book that's sort of all puppy dogs and roses talking about how all the ways that God used this, which it is a story about that, but it's it delves into the difficulty and the pain and the fear of these things oh, yeah. and the effect on the family. One guy lost his family. One guy's family waited for him, but there was significant difficulty once he got out of prison. But then the way that their lives intersected afterwards, because Collins went back to Benton Harbor, which isn't a very big place, and started crossing paths with guys who he had falsely locked up. Mm. And 
sort of one by one apologizing to them and admitting to what he had done. And uh, it's it pretty amazing to read how some guys were very, I don't know if forgiving is the right word, but were just sort of like they, they, they were caught off guard that he fessed up. Other guys threatened his life. And then he ends up meeting McGee at, at a, like a city block party. And then they end up at the same church, McGee working in their outreach program and Collins just as a member. And wow. so sort of this story of restoration. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a well-told story. Each of them just goes back and forth with their kind of where they were at different points in the story. So chronologically. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those stories that I think is better than fiction because it gives all of the real difficulties and pain as opposed to sort of the fictionalized and they all lived happily ever after in Jesus kind sure. of thing. Um, and so the book is called Convicted and it's available now. And it's, uh, it's, if you, I think it's an especially timely book considering the racial tensions in our country, the tensions between police and minorities, the, uh, many of the accusations that have come out against police. And so in some ways, I think it's, it's probably going to stir some things up. But in other ways, it provides a way of looking at at how how God can use difficult circumstances and even injustice to bring about redemption. So I think it's well worth reading. Uh, it is, it's well written and it's a good story. So again, book is called Convicted by Jameel McGee and Andrew Collins, available now from Waterbrook. And we really appreciate their sponsorship of the podcast. Man, that's awesome. You know, I really wish we had the kind of relationship sponsor-wise with book publishers where they would occasionally drop free copies in the mail for us because that sounds like one that I would I would very much like to read. Um, it sounds really cool. And I'm encouraged just being in the industry that books like that are getting uh, on the shelves. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like there, there would have been a time years ago where a book like that could have been um, suggested or submitted and it would have gotten shot down. So uh, I'm glad we, we live in a world where that can be a reality. Yeah, and my guess is we probably could get a couple copies of this if we went and asked, but we haven't done that yet. So you I'll go back and ask this. for you. Let's do this, boys. Let's see if they listen to the program and let's see if they feel moved enough to like drop a couple in the mail for us for free. Um, I don't, I don't want to do anything more than that. <laughs> I, I feel like this is one of those meme relationship tests where yeah. you 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 say something and see if the other person can read your mind. Dude, we're reading things in right now to the relationship with Waterbrook. Maybe we're a little farther along with them than we think we are, but I, I think um, we're gonna we're gonna find out real quick where we where we stand with them. And that actually reminds me of something that we discussed off the air in one of our production meetings at one point. But that was seeing seeing what what kind of free swag we could come away. Uh, from live in Louisville with what, what kind of gifts we could generate. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and it feels a little, a little crass to talk about that in this way. Um, but, but here's the thing. If you're signed up for live in Louisville, uh, we appreciate you and we're excited. Um, and if, if you wanted to bring us some stuff, some, some free stuff for us, we would be even more appreciative and excited about you as an individual. Um, I mean, so, other than the sheet cakes that we are expecting. Other than the sheet bring. cakes and the GameCube, which we can't keep, but we'll use to play uh, a little Smash in the evening. But um, I want to quickly go around the room and, and boys, just lay out for me uh, what it is that you would like people to bring for you. I'm going to start uh, with you, Big R. What, what would you like? What kind of free 
gear would you like from? Uh, I mean, I'm you know I'm always open uh, for some you know some some new vinyl records. Um, okay. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped about the sheet cake. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, yeah, because I'm going to be off the whole thirty by then, so I'm going to be able to indulge yes. in that like a uh, like a uh, you know like a bear indulging in honey. And mm. uh, so yeah, I mean, hey, how about some vinyl records? How about some uh, how about some rarities for Big R? That's what I'm throwing out there. I'm, I'm there we go. Vinyl out. records for Big R. What about for you, Pipe? Um, well, let's see. I, I'm a, I'm an avid Lagares Roasters coffee drinker, but I am, I am not well stocked in coffee paraphernalia. I think that's the proper word considering it looks like a meth lab when it's properly set up. (laughs) Uh, so I would go in for like a Chemex. I would go in for any of the pour over paraphernalia right now. I'm kind of a French press guy, which is pretty basic. It's good, but it's basic. So, so coffee paraphernalia to support my Ligaris Roasters habit would be spectacular. And for all you coffee guys out there really offended by pipe, just using the word paraphernalia 96 times, it's cool. He doesn't really mean that. No, that's exactly what I mean. I think there, I think it's, I think it's probably a drug habit for me. I'm physically and, and mentally dependent on it. And I'm perfectly okay with that. All right. Well, I, I do. Boys, my, uh, too, my, free swag, my free swag request from live in Louisville is, uh, I want football stuff from mm. whatever metro area you're from. So mm. jerseys, t-shirts, caps, um, from your team, from your rooting interest. Uh, you bring that stuff to me at live in Louisville and I will, uh, I will wear it, uh, excitedly and with pride. Um, so coffee oh, I, stuff for I, I'll, pipe. I'll add one more. So if somebody's yeah. not into the coffee thing, uh, anything minor league baseball. Ooh, there so, you go. So minor, I mean, if you picked up a bobblehead at a game, uh, baseball caps, although I'm a little snobby about baseball caps. I only wear fitted hats. Um, so t-shirts, uh, pennants, posters, even like those little fold out schedules or like fridge magnet schedules, any nice. of that minor league baseball me, stuff. I have I have a Jackson Generals cap for you that I'm going to yes. bring live in Louisville. So you awesome. will at least get that at the very least. All right. Well, I'll get at least one piece of swag. I suspect our listeners will come through in the clutch for us. They will, man, because they are that good. They are great, great listeners and great people. Um, boys, I want to talk about story. And what's interesting about this is that I had a student the other day ask me about what some of the trends were in Christian publishing. And I don't know how we got on it, but who was the guy? He was like a white guy with dreads. And like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, he like lived under a bridge for Jesus and wrote a book about it. it Is that Shane uh, Claiborne? Shane Claiborne. Shane Claiborne. And I don't know why, but for me, that that thing, that whole white guy with dreads living under a bridge thing was like emblematic of a certain trend in Christian publishing that existed, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, the whole anti-consumerism thing. Um, And another trend is this whole idea of story, living a better story, God's story. Um, you know, what's your story? Where are you in your story? That whole thing. Um, my question to you boys is, um, is that helpful? Like, is that a thing that's helpful or has it jumped the shark? Um, and Pipe, since you're our, our resident book industry guru, I want to start with you on this one. Well, I was going to ask Ronnie because I'm <laughs> so... I think it's jumped the shark in publishing, but I want to know, I'm interested in to know, like, how does this play itself out in a church context, especially church context like Ronnie's, which is, um, I think they're more like salt of the earth, working class people who go about their business and they're not really focused on publishing trends. None of that is an insult. I respect people like that probably more than those who focus on publishing trends. But uh, I think in the publishing industry, it's, 
it's we're at the point where if you wedge story into a title or a subtitle, like it's just like, oh, it's one of those. Yeah. You know, I'm living God's story. I'm living a better story. How to live a better story. Seven ways to live a better story. Believing a better story. Um, I, I think it just I think it's replaced truth. Like story yeah. just means truth now, which isn't, they're not the same thing. But isn't I think Donald that's how Miller kind of the king of capitalizing on story? Wasn't he kind of the first guy to do this in that he it was that's the funny thing is like it's moved into like the reformed world now. But this I remember this being like the beef against the emergent church mm-hmm. was that every like the point of like the whole thing of the emergent church was like you have your story. I have my story. And we're talking about how they intersect and like this <laughs> this meta narrative, which is another abused and overused. Dude, term it was that so used to fruity. It was also fruity. You know? Yeah. And and so now. But now it's become this thing where, like, you get people like Sally Lloyd-Jones, who does the, you know, she wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so she has taken this story and used it in a proper literary way yeah. to describe the threads of narrative that run through Scripture to help people understand it. That's brilliant. Yeah. But then you get everybody else who's sort of personalizing it, and it's my story and God's story, and where do they intersect? And I'm like, that— that's the same stuff that we threw Brian McLaren overboard for. That's right. I'm confused. So, I'm, yeah, I, I think it's. I think story has just replaced truth because truth is offensive to people. Story is not offensive, but people use them interchangeably. I have a stupid question about Sally Lloyd Jones. Is she related to Marty Lloyd Jones? I don't think she is. Really? That's not his. I daughter? think. I, I always assumed I it was Big R. So did I. I don't think it is. No mm. kidding. I don't think she is. I said it as because I was talking about the relationship. I mean, I don't think Jones she's related. I think I think I remember her in an interview saying it's cr- it's crazy, but I'm not related to him. Wow, interesting, interesting. Mm. I don't know, but I'm, you know, maybe maybe uh, while Ronnie's answering the question about how story has played itself out in <laughs> the metropolis of Ashland, I'll uh, I'll Google this. Uh, you have to insult Ashland me. is all about story, baby. Tell us about that. What does that look like on the on the ground in rural Ohio? Yeah, I hear what Pipe's saying. I actually agree. I, that's not the so. I think it's more of a. Um, that's not the kind of language that I I use, right? So um, that just sound that sounds like post hippie, trendy, post emergent, post everything kind of language. So I'm just not really drawn to to story language, even though I. Again, the way she kind of, the way uh, Pipe kind of laid it out was Sally Lloyd Jones, not related to Martin Lloyd Jones. Of course, we're just finding that out um, and, and being yeah. slightly devastated by that. But um, I don't know. According, um, according to the Washington Post, Sally Lloyd Jones not related, and she is willing to clarify this. This was an interview with her mm. uh, from 2013. So mm. interesting. Just a just a a strange coincidence. Wow. Well, I'm glad I asked, boys. Sorry for interrupting, Ron. Just wanted to fact check. No, that's good. Um, so for me, yeah, it's probably overused. I think certain churches, I think certain, uh, you know, tribes are going to overuse that. I think it's helpful to talk about it in the way um, that Lloyd-Jones and like DeYoung with uh, The Biggest Story Ever Told. I think there's a way to talk about it in a way that's helpful and in a way that's relatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, here in Ashtown, I mean, I, I don't know that a lot of people are getting that or, or have grown up with that kind of language, at least over the last 15 years since, you know, all the guys we're talking about got crucified for it. But um, I mean, I think there's a time to bring it in and talking about, you know, especially when you talk about, you know, when you talk about the Bible systematically, you can kind of use it. You can use the word story to sort of, 
you know, uh, makes sense out of what it is that you're trying to say. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it sounds like one of those kind of things that's going to, that's quickly, that feels dated. And if you use that kind of language, it's, it's going to feel, you know, very dated if it, if it hasn't already. And um, it, 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 I think um, going a little bit deeper with it and, and T, you can, you can comment on this part of it is it just sounds like a, another way to very, uh, very much like individualize our, you know, pers- it, it sounds like a new version of personal walk with Jesus. You know what I mean? And I think if we're yeah. not careful, it can really become that. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a cooler, you know, version of that. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I think where I was going with it was similar to what you said, but a little bit different in that I think it's a version of trying to make everybody feel like their life is like important and exciting. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're you're a part of this big, fabulous story, even though your job feels really mundane and your life feels really boring and you just go to work and come home and watch TV. Like, you know, you're part of a you know, huge, fabulous story. And that to me smacks of just kind of self-help pap. Um, and that, that that's sort of where I kind of mentally yeah. threw all these books at the same time. But I'm, I'm sure... Maybe there are some, maybe there are some examples of these storybooks that are actually pretty good, but um, I don't know. I mean, we're three guys who do, we kind of do stories for a living. So I guess I never had to be convinced of the fact that stories were important or worthwhile or interesting. I mean, I think as a writer, as a creative nonfiction person, like stories have been my bread and butter for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like songwriters who who write songs about songs. Um, oh, and I sure. Think, I think this is kind of like people that are writing stories about stories about stories instead of just, you know, having <laughs> having the flow of a narrative come out in the way that you communicate, whether it's a talk or a sermon. I mean, I, you know, you know, some people might even say, hey, you have a very conversationalist style of talking and it, and it kind of feels like a story. I mean, I think that's a lot mm-hmm. different than always trying to draw out sort of this uh, tie to, yeah, like you just said, T, like, oh, my life is a store and it gives me meaning and, and importance because I, I have this individual, like, you know, world that I'm creating that's all about me and all about giving my life, you know, substance and, you know, those types mm-hmm. of things. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite. I mean, stories stories are a rhetorical style or a genre. You know, there's there's fictional stories and there's nonfiction stories like the the, the book that we talked about that – uh, the, right off at the top, like that's a story, but that's that's two people story. It's a, it's got a beginning and an end. It's got a middle. It's got these ingredients, and I think there are, there are ways to talk about story that are really helpful in a faith context. Mm-hmm. So, like what Sally Lloyd Jones does, or what Katie Y does in talking about scripture and drawing out elements of scripture that would otherwise be missed. Because I think a lot of people, especially those who grew up in the church read it as a whole bunch of little individual stories. There's stories about Abraham and stories about David and stories about Jesus. But to get the thread that runs through it, that's that's helpful. And it, it kind of opens people's eyes to things. Or like you we were just talking about, Ronnie, where people say you have a conversational style, you're a good storyteller, you're communicating truth through story. But when you move into the place of my story and living a story, I think you've taken something that is, that's designed to help understanding and moved it into like, I don't even know what that is. It's just like, a, it's a horrendous abuse of a metaphor or something. I don't know. It's, it, it gets really weird, really fast when people talk about like, I want to live a better story. Mm. Like I don't, yeah. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Yeah. It just seems like I, fruity language to me. 
I don't know. I, don't I mean, you live a life. You don't live a story. Stories right. are what's told about you once you're dead. Well, and you that's risk right. just, again, you risk like something that's, again, you, you risk like reversing the gaze back at yourself when you yes. learn another language anyway. So you Which, make, by the way, again, people don't need help doing. Exactly. <laughs> right. People kind of default to that all the live long day. Yes. They probably need to be reminded to not think about that so much. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if if our lives are a story, then there's an author who's not us. And so there's, you know, it should take, it should definitely remove us from these sort of like, because characters in a story do not worry about living a better story. They just do what's written. <laughs> That's so That's like true. you, you can't take autonomy over your story unless you are the author which then confuses you theologically, and that gets real messy real fast. Yeah, that's brilliant. You know what this actually point? reminds wow. me of, boys, is a great Will Ferrell movie called Stranger Than Fiction. Did you guys ever see this one? Never saw that one. I didn't. I heard good things about oh, it. Oh, it's though. phenomenal. You guys got to watch this as writers. It's a great writing movie. You're going to love this. So it's, uh, it's Will Ferrell in a serious role, which I enjoy. Um, and Dustin Hoffman is in it. Dustin Hoffman plays like the type of smug, arrogant college professor that I totally want to be someday. <laughs> um, he's hilarious and condescending, but in, in the funniest sort of way. So, um, the, the feral character realizes that he is actually a character in someone else's novel that's currently being written. And the writer who's quite famous, she's famous for killing off the main characters in her novels. Um, so Will Ferrell kind of partners with Dustin Hoffman, who's a literary expert to try to figure out how to get his main character to not die at the end of the story um it's really good man it's really fascinating mm-hmm. even wow. uh, given what we're talking about um, man i feel like i should write that and write a you know seventeen thousand word think piece on it for the gospel coalition because it'd be perfect both because it's very serious yes uh it's very lengthy yep and the movie's like 10 years old yes no a think piece so it's completely out of date yeah it's perfect dude a think piece about a 10 year old movie would be perfect and uh i'm actually watching lost Right now, for the first time, we were like 15 years late to that little party. Um, And I I was standing in my kitchen last night going, I really want to write a column about Lost, except that the whole nation stopped thinking about it 10 years ago. Um, And yet, if you write that, somebody will get mad at you for spoiler alerts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we should both write our outdated columns pipe and just see how they go. Well, I'm much more interested in talking about writing 17,000 word columns than I am actually writing them. So this conversation, this conversation is, is meeting all my needs. This will have to suffice in lieu of the column. But uh, boys, I want to talk about something else related to um, the academy and kind of the, the, the world that we're, that we're in sometimes. So here at my university, I share uh, a floor with the theology and missions department. So uh, we have kind of the, the heathen end of the third floor in Jennings Hall, and they have the, the super spiritual end. And um, in order to get to the bathrooms in the little kitchen uh, in our scenario up here, I have to walk down to there into the hallway. And each time I do that, I pass uh, their little rack of brochures, and it's filled with seminary brochures. Are you guys familiar with these kind of flyers and these ads for seminaries? You've probably seen them. Yeah. Um, Yes, thing. quite. I work in the academic space and I, I frequent um, various websites and blogs that have them as sidebar ads as well. Yeah, for sure. And the interesting thing about these seminary ads is that they all feature hipsters and minorities, except I feel like none of the actual schools feature hipsters and minorities, um, which begs the question, is there like a 
Christian modeling agency that's just supplying like <laughs> hipsters and black guys and and women for these these seminary ads. Um, no, there's no there's no women in them. At least not at, at least not at the Reformed or Baptist schools. That's true. That's, that's true. They don't uh, they don't feature that. Yeah. You know this. Uh, now that I'm into this topic, this strikes me as less of a topic and more of just an observation. So apologies for that. But I'm going to throw it to you, Pipe, anyway, to see. If because you're a radio pro, you have more to say on this that that we haven't already covered. Well, I think every school must have at least one hipster yeah. and uh, and one minority, um, and they just put them in different outfits for different. <laughs> you know, like oh, we need our spring advertisement, though we need our fall advertisement. And so this one you're in shorts, and this one you're in tweed. And yeah, um, when I was at when I did undergrad at Wheaton, um, one of my friends there was a guy named Jeremiah, who's a black guy, and he would periodically, so like once a quarter, maybe be like, you know, we'd be like, Hey, you want to go grab lunch? He's like, Nope, got to go do the minority photo shoot. Absolutely. And, uh, so it was like he and, and, uh, an Asian girl and a Hispanic girl. And they were sort of the, they were the ones who would be laughing on the front lawn of the school for all of the brochures along with, of course, there was a plethora of white kids to choose from. So it was a rotating cast of attractive white people along with, along with these three. And I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but it's, it is exactly how Christian (laughs) institutions do their promotions. Dude, now as a, as a, as that black guy at a Christian college, do you get some kind of scholarship? Like, are, are they throwing a little cachiche at you to do that photo shoot like two or three times a year? Because I feel like they should. What What about your friend there? Was he getting some, was he get, getting a little piece of that action financially? I don't know. I, you know, it, that's one of those conversations that, uh, that I was a little afraid to broach at like 20. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, wait a minute. So is this... You know, because you don't want to be insulting, dude. But it would be. A I don't want really to make it sound like you got no. into the school because, because I happen to know he was a way better student than I was, so he deserved to be at Wheaton more than I did. I, I was the affirmative action student mm-hmm. because my last name is Piper, and both my parents are alums. <laughs> so um, I did not earn my way into Wheaton. I skated by pretty easily. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that he was given some sort of perk or benefit, but I hope it was more just like a work for hire kind of thing as opposed to like a a scholarship kind of thing because I don't know. It, otherwise, it would have looked affirmative action-y, That's, which people have very strong feelings about. Big R, you went to seminary. What was the uh, well, what was the hipster minority to white person ratio where, where you went to school? What was that looking like? It was me and the rest of the school. <laughs> So you were the hipster. Now, did you get photographed at any time? Were they ever like, hey, can we stick a mug of coffee in your hand and a, and a, a commentary in front of you in this coffee shop and, and throw you in the brochure? Did that ever happen? No, because I, the majority of mine was, was online. So I didn't, I, didn't really have that, I didn't really have that experience of spending every single day with, uh, you know, with, with, the, uh, with the students. So, uh, but, I, but I do know, I mean, I, I'd, I'd been there enough to know that the vibe, you know, it's sort of the, the fashion, so to say, so to speak there was, uh, I mean, it was, very, uh, it, was very, it was very khakis, you know, driven. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, yeah. so uh, it, well, that is the saddest sentence. It was very, it was very khakis driven. Oh, so I mean, which, oh, you know, I just which, drabbest sentence, which literally means nothing to me because I don't really care what anybody else wears. I, I just sort of care about what I wear. So, I mean, it was fine. You know, I, I mean, it's it's like in you can just kind of uh, you can get a sense for where 
you know, for where people are going and, and, you know, where they're heading into the future and probably the kind of, maybe even the kind of churches that they're interested in, in, you know, getting connected with and, you know, what kind of professors they're going to be. So yeah, it's all, it's all there. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that all of these marketing pieces look this certain way and they're, you know, they have these, these people who look trendy Mm -hmm. and somehow they fail to attract anybody who looks like those people. That's true. So, or they attract those who look like those people and then they get to campus and immediately go into khakis and blue blazers. Where's the disconnect? Hang on. Sure. Todd, what's up, bro? I'm good, man. Hey, I'm actually like mid podcast taping right now. Can I give you, can I give you a shout back? Dude, here's the thing. I feel like you maybe tried to call just a minute ago. Is that true? Oh, okay. That was somebody else then. Dude, the topic today, we're talking about uh, the story trend. So living a better story, God's story, all that stuff. And then we're also talking about uh, seminary advertising and how it's all like hipsters and minorities, except that none of those people actually go to the seminaries. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'll give you buzz back. Bye. Sorry about that, boys. That's right. No, We're no obviously keeping I didn't actually, in. Yeah, I didn't actually pause it. I just timestamp it so we can cut it if we want, or we could leave it in. Dude, we could leave it in. It'd be fun, you know, just a little peek into the, the glamorous world of academia, you know, the glitz and glamour. Is, is Todd going to be offended that his name gets mentioned on the podcast? No, no. If I'd used his last name, he might have. But uh, he's a fan. He's a fan of the show. So, he, in fact, he asked us what, what we were talking about today. So, um, <laughs> To be fair, there's probably like 72 Todds who work in white academia oh, yeah. on your campus. That's a big so. white academia name. So I think we're safe, man. Yeah. I know. I, in <laughs> fact, I know we're safe. So speaking of white academia, boys, um, I want to know, Pipe, what it would take to get Big R in a pair of pleated khaki pants at Live in Louisville. So here's, mm-hmm. here's what I want to put out there for the audience. Uh, if you have a pair of pleated khakis that you no longer need, and I know you do have a pair because you're largely a, a white Christian, probably seminary educated audience. Um, I want you to bring said khakis to Louisville to the event. And uh, just as a little social experiment, we can see if we can get get Big R into those khakis. Mm. Um, can we uh, can we get an estimate on uh, your waist and inseam, Ron? Like what size it. pants? Wow, do you this wear? is just so that because I mean, we don't want somebody bringing. Big R is skinny. He's so skinny, he almost doesn't exist. You're a very very fit and attractive human being. You have nothing to be ashamed of. I just don't want... getting so uncomfortable. Very live, very limber. Think... I just don't want people to show up with like, you know, 44 waist and you have to like wrap them around you twice. Okay, I love how you had to go that extreme with it. I I love how you had to go all the way up to 44. Mick Jagger circa like 1972. That's what we're looking at for Big R's. I mean, not even, I mean, I would love to be that, that scrawn. Unfortunately, I'm not. But I I think if someone gets me something in in the, uh, the range of a, uh, and wait for it, a a 32, 32, I, I think I'll be good. Um, the question is, what kind of cash, in addition mm. to the CACs, mm-hmm. is it going to take to get me? Or vinyl. What about, I mean, if they if they gave you the khakis and, like, two vinyl records? Well, Pipe, I would feel obligated then, and I wouldn't have a problem with that at all, because, I mean, we're probably going to be sitting, so I'm not really that concerned about it. So, absolutely, bring your CACs, bring Ooh. some cash and or vinyl or both, and yes. uh, we'll chat, and in between podcasts, maybe I'll, I'll slip into them. Like a gentleman. And Ted, will you be in a bow tie? Did we discuss? Did we discuss that? We did like a, a year and a half. I don't ago, have a bow tie. I, I literally don't own one. So if somebody brings a bow tie, I'll pop that on too. Wow, Why not? Oh, dude. We, 
We are in Louisville. This is like the haven of Botox. Yeah, this is Botox USA right here. The happy briefing. Yes. <laughs> the happy Maybe briefing. that that would be a, that would be quite the uh, the counter show. You better believe I'm popping a bow tie on. But somebody's got to bring one because I don't even know how to tie it. So somebody's gonna have to show me how to tie it, or better yet, tie it for me. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't man. see myself in like a hipster church bathroom under the under like a bare light bulb, like trying to tie a tie in a mirror. You know what I mean? Guys, I told you be. twenty times the church is not that hipster. It's it's a hipster church in a non hipster building. Just remember I that. I don't want you to be of that. Yeah, I know. I don't want you to be let down, baby. Right? I don't. I don't want you to be let down. That's why I'm bringing it up. Right? Big R, you know, you, there's, a, there's a certain level of irony in that, which fits the hipster, the hipster vibe. Absolutely. You know, you go to like a traditional church with like ugly taupe colors everywhere, yeah. and and then you just hipster it up a little bit. And Dude, that's that's deeply done. ironic. I, mean, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Big R, you actually mentioned something a minute ago that I want to I want to touch on, and I want the three of us to answer it. Um, you mentioned that your physical ideal, like your your ideal like body type for yourself, would be like deep deep scrawn. Like uh, like early Mick Jagger scrawn, like yeah. so skinny, like almost not even there scrawn. Um, is is that right? Like, is that what you're rolling with? Is like, if you could have the ideal body type, it would be that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, realistically, it's just like I I have I have a build that would never lend itself to that, unfortunately. But yeah, if I could have a ver- if I could have my version. If I could have my mm-hmm. own version of Jagger, that's what. I, yeah, I I don't like muscles. I I just yeah. I like thinness. So yeah, that yeah. that's what I was. That's my aim, right? So thinness is. There are I drugs for that. Yeah, there are, there are. But yeah, that would be Nick it. Nick Jagger could tell you all about them. I know, and you know, and Jagger. The the problem with that super skinny, you know, that Bowie Jagger skinniness is when they get to be seventy five years old, it kind of turns on them, right? They don't. They're not looking too hot at that point, right? It's just kind of weird. No. No. You know, right? Pipe, what, what about, about you? you I deal. Uh, I, I, you know, for me, man, um, I'm going to be honest with you, man. And this is so cliche, but like Chris Hemsworth, like long, long hair, super jacked. I do like muscles. So I'm, I'm a little bit different than you. Big R. Do you also like Australian accents? No, man. I'm, I'm not about the accent at all, man. It, it has more to do with, I think the, the, the hair and the muscle situation is, is where I would like to be. Um, or like Brad Pitt circa Legends of the Fall, I think would would be perfect because you mm. get, you know, you get like uh, you get Soldier Brad in Legends of the Fall. You get uh, like working on a farm Brad, and then you get Suit Brad, three piece Suit Brad, riding a horse Brad. So like that for me, I think that's kind of the that's the sweet spot when I think about like like ideal body type. That's kind of what I'm looking at. Uh, but there's mm. some there's some muscle tone there for me. There's some like broadness of the shoulder that I could never, I could never go Mick Jagger, man. That's too, like, I wouldn't feel safe walking down the street with my lady at night if I was as scrawny as Mick Jagger. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, my lady you, would have to protect me, needed, you know? If she needed to defend you, that's yeah, right. That's, yeah. It gets a little awkward. It gets real awkward. What about you, Pipe? Ideal body type. Well, I would have had a different answer 15 years ago than I do now because 15 years ago, I still fancied myself an athlete and tried to play sports. And so I would have gone much more the like, like a true athletic build, you know, kind of like, kind of like what you described, something that could, you know, you could play outside linebacker. That was sort of my, my ideal build. But now uh, I would say that like crisp professional trim where you can wear like the European cut button downs and not have love handles. Yeah. So I'm, I'd say I'd lower my standards a little bit, but, but I think it, at, you know, 
as an adult, that that that's probably a realistic standard or maybe the, the right level of high standard. So yeah, like the the professional trim, so fit, but not huge, yeah. because I don't know what a pile of muscles are gonna do for me now. Um, but but also somebody like that's a body type that can age fairly well. Sure. So that would be my idea. You know what that body type can I, do, Pipe? And I admire it. If, if, if you got that European trim body type, you're ordering suits online. You know what I mean? You're going to order a little fitted, tailored, skinny suit online, and it's going to fit fabulously. And um, that's not something I can do, man. I'll be honest. You know, I'm, I'm not quite there either. Like, I'm, I'm not a big dude, but like, I, I'm not European tiny yeah. either. So... And, Dude, what's not, funny though is quite there. European scrawn is different than Mick Jagger scrawn. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's well, it's like it's like an it's like an uh, a former athlete who has trimmed down, yeah. toned, as opposed to like yeah. as opposed to like a skinny dude who does cocaine. Yeah, European right. scrawn is like I, I I could see you like sailing a boat. You know what I mean? And you're doing that thing where you crank the thing and like the mast goes up and and yeah. you're like a little more of it's, it's sort of uh, Zach Zac Efron. Yeah. Uh, more than like so, well, he's kind uh, of Zach Efron now, as opposed though. to like yeah. Dwayne Johnson. What's that? I mean, Efron's kind of a beefcake now, though. So you know, he's kind is of he beefcake? Yeah, yeah, he's Dude, pretty he, big. Wait, did he go all Jake Gyllenhaal? He's got a little furtic. He's a little furtic, man. Let's yeah, let's, let's, Dude, I feel like Gyllenhaal went furtic about about ten years ago, and it was weird because he was a he was a skinny kind of scrawny hipster dude, and then he he came back all jacked, and he just stayed jacked. But Gyllenhaal's just crazy because he's the kind of guy who's going to show – kind of like Christian Bale where like for American Psycho, he lost whatever it was, like 60 pounds. And I, I feel like Gyllenhaal just does stuff like that. So he's going to be – you know, he's going to show up and play the Incredible Hulk and then like three weeks later, he's going to show up and play um, – I don't know. Stevens. He's gonna, yeah, he's, he's going yeah, to show up and play dude. Mick Jagger, yeah. like young Mick Jagger. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, boys, I'm glad we finally had the body type discussion. I mean, yeah, it's been a long time coming. It's, it's, yeah, I hope we didn't you. put pressure on anybody to, you know, feeling like they have to, to live up to anything. Yeah. You're beautiful just the way you are, gentlemen. Don't feel like you have to, to change. Right, you know what? I feel like we as the media, we, we, we just create this standard pipe that nobody can live up to, you know? I know. We should probably feel guilty about it. But then it doesn't help when we show up just looking spectacular and making people feel guilty about themselves. Right. So this is it's sort of a catch-22. I mean, we're all dieting down for live in Louisville. I mean, in our own ways, I'm sure, you know, just... <laughs> in our own ways, that's a that's an accurate statement. I'm dieting down by eating whatever I want whenever I feel like it. So it, it may not work as well, just FYI. But it tastes amazing. It does taste amazing. Boys, we have, we have one more topic, and I, I don't even know that we truly have time to do this justice. But uh, Pipe, this is one that you raised... And it's very interesting because the topic is, what's the right time to talk about difficult issues? Because people are always saying it's not the right time, like right after a tragedy to talk about, um, you know, gun control or injustice or whatever. So if it's not the right time right after the tragedy, when is the right time? Um, what, what do you think about this, Pipe? Uh, I... I think you look at it from two different sides. I get the side of people who are like, it's not the right time because if their heart is in the right place, they're being sensitive to those who are in pain. That seems reasonable to me. On the other hand, uh, you look at it and you're like, tragedies just keep on coming. So you don't want to talk gun control after a dude shoots up a school. Wait seven minutes. There's another school that's going to be shut up. So if by that reasoning, we'll never talk about it. Um, And 
my goal is not to get into the issues themselves. I'm not that interested in talking about gun control or climate change or whatever. But um, I don't know. I think I think part of the reason that people say it's not the right time is because they're tired of the the fight. Mm. You know, the the gun control conversation or the climate change conversation, or they just don't want to deal with it. So it's not the right time. It's like a trump card of saying like you're an incentive insensitive a hole, and so. Uh, I don't want to talk about this. Mm. And, and I don't know. I, I don't, I feel like we just, if they're, if they're governmental issues, you just talk about them because that's at a different level than people's pain. That's a solve the problem issue, you know, at the level of somebody who's actually grieving, then yeah, it's not, it's not the right time. You know, if, if I was in Houston right now, helping somebody clean out their flood ravaged home, I probably wouldn't gripe and moan about climate change. That that seems that seems unhelpful for sure. Bigar, what do you think, man? As a man of the cloth, you probably are somewhat at the mercy of whatever it is that your congregants want or need to talk about. Um, how do you deal with this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I don't really deal with it. I'm. I'm not like an issues guy most of the time. So to me, these are just individual convos. I, I never really feel the need to have to address this thing to a wider audience. And I think. Um, you know, again, you talk. We talk about these things because we're thinking, oh, is it a good time to bring it up, either from like the platform, or is it is it a good time to tweet out about it so that we can get into a big debate? But you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just more effective to have you know controlled conversations with people of which you know you can become more well informed. Um, I, I guess that's uh, that's the uh, that's the R answer right there for you. That is a that is a good point. The that this statement of it's not the right time almost always has to do with public declarations about it. So two category five hurricanes hit the United States in the space of whatever, eight days, and somebody yells climate change, and immediately there's this flood from the other side, ironically, usually drawn along political lines, saying now is not the time to talk about this while people are getting flooded, except no one's getting flooded on Twitter because Twitter doesn't actually exist in real life. It's just a place where words happen. <laughs> so um, it, it usually, I think Ronnie's exactly right, where it's like people are having this argument as if people are being insensitive, not realizing that it's happening in, a, in almost like a, a different dimension. That's where these arguments mm-hmm. are happening. Yeah. So in that case, I think it's always the right time. Or it's never the right time because maybe these are just annoying conversations. Man, we're getting a lot of things settled. I feel good about this. I know. I'm so glad we helped everybody. Know, man. We've helped Ted, a lot. Do you have opinions ourselves. on this? We've helped everybody. Dude, it's I don't kind have of like a Kind of like what Live and Louie's going to be, man. We're going to help a lot of people in a month. It's a service. A it's an outreach. We're going to be like, it's either this thing or, yeah, it's either this thing or this thing. They're totally opposites. Yeah, could it could be either. It could be either. You know, Probably neither. And affirming we are of, of all perspectives, though, really, is what that tells me. Yeah, it's I think people just need to live better stories. That's live what I think. Oh, now we're talking. You know, we're inclusive of all beginning. people's stories on this show, Pipe. That's just kind of where we're at. So, does that include Rachel the Held Evans? Yeah, you know, for today, man, I'm just in a yes mood today. So, um, so even if she wants to come in live, and if she wants to come to live in Louisville, I want her making a sheet cake for us, though. Um, she's gonna have to come with a sheet cake decorated with one of her tweets. Um, I, I think. <laughs> That's what I want to see. <laughs> and the Twitter logo. And the Twitter logo and the blue check. All right? I want a sheet cake. I want a tweet. Uh, blue check, Twitter logo. Then um, that will be her ticket to live in Louisville. She could actually get him for free if she brings all that. And some uh, and some football gear from her metro area. So um, and, a, and a thick skin because she will be brought up if I see her in the audience quite frequently. <laughs> Dude, that would be incredible. How amazing would it be if she showed up? 
what what vinyl record would she bring to Rome? Oh, fascinating. You know, wow. Like it'd be like Joni Mitchell, I think. Yeah, she would be that pretentious. <laughs> Awkward laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Who would it be yeah. though? Not Joni Mitchell. He'd bring me like tapestry. Joni Mitchell, just, King, you know. Yeah. Joni Mitchell just about spiraled me down a list of suggestions <laughs> that would get me in trouble. Yeah. So I'm just gonna quietly <laughs> not say anything else. Oh, uh, it's fun to think about though. It's fun to think about what vinyl she would bring Big R. Um, that's a that's a fun mental image. What if she met Big R for the first time and, and Big R happened to be wearing his pleated khakis? And she would be like, This doesn't this doesn't mesh with the the image of him that he's so carefully cultivated otherwise. She it would be confusing, wouldn't it? Oh, but it would be so triggering because he would j- look just like all of the people she loves to light on fire on. Dude, Twitter. we all would. I would be wearing a bow tie. Ron would be wearing pleated khakis, and she would think that she had just walked into like. And my last and name, your is, last Piper, name is Piper. So I'm just she'd just be like, "What is this?" Like, <laughs> she'd be like, she'd, she'd be like, "I'm just hanging with Merritt." It's, it just feels like a. It just feels like a meet and greet with Jonathan Merritt. Oh right wow! Now. What do I do with that? You what know? if Jay Merritt covered the event as sort of a journalistic? Wow, I would welcome that. And again, he would be brought oh, up this, frequently. Oh, okay. This so Jonathan Merritt's specialty is a rather doing a sort of like sort of thought provoking uh, Q and A with somebody, but then titling it whatever the most sensational thing he can think of is that sort of relates to what was yeah. said. You know, so um, what what would be the title of a Jonathan Merritt article about live and? It'd be like. Mm. Happy Rant hosts discuss, you know, sexuality and gender issues and then make out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just, just totally yeah, making yeah. things up. That would get a lot of clicks, though, is the thing, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's see. So, something about something about Southern Baptists gorging themselves on sheet cake and uh, and proving their trend, their, their gluttonous yeah, gluttony trends excess or something and along those lines. At, at live live in Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. Literally, that would be so awesome if he showed up. I would love Ted, it. Ted Ted uses the phrase douchebag once on the air and then the title is something like uh reform podcast hosts spew profanity-laced tirade at it's audience. Douchebag shaming is what it is. That's hurting the douchebag community. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, if there's a community that needs to be hurt, it's probably that. <laughs> That's one. true. That community might be unhurtable, which Makes it okay to talk about. Um, Unheardable. That's an epic word, Big T. Dude, what kind of gifts are we expecting from from Jay Merritt if he comes to the program in in Louisville? I'm thinking not a sheet cake. I I can't think of a single thing I can say on the air. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Let's leave that pipe to the audience's imaginations and, and... Acknowledge what we always acknowledge. And keep, yeah, keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, we folks. have we've really wandered to and far. I think at at the end of this one, and and boys, actually, that reminds me. I've got a, a quick, tiny little story to tell you that's funny. So, uh, our church uh, sometimes about once or twice a month uh, for Sunday evening church, we do a prayer meeting, and we meet in this in this big room. It's kind of like theater in the round. There's just sort of an open space in the middle, and and everybody's sitting. Uh, sort of in chairs around it. And uh, we were, we, it was getting long. We were getting into like the hour and 15 minute mark of this thing, which, which is the point at which even the most polite people start like pulling their phones out of their pockets and kind of diddling around on them. And um, we're sitting there and I hear the opening strains of the happy rant. Like I hear our <laughs> intro music coming from this guy's phone across the room and he's an older guy 
And he was like punching around on his phone furiously trying to make it stop. And um, everybody <laughs> was sort of looking at everyone else, kind of chuckling uncomfortably. And um, the, pe- the people in the church who listened to the rant were looking at me and uh, that's I just broke man. the tension by saying, Bill, that sounds like a really awesome show. And uh, he <laughs> laughed and, and everybody laughed. But boys, we're getting so big. And the, and the, the fame wow. is getting so big, you guys. I can't even go to the prayer meeting at my church without being just kind of like confronted with I it. Know. You know what I mean? It's tough. I, um, I feel like I'm going to have to wear a disguise to my own church. You know what I mean? And I know now I'm just, I can expect another check for, uh, you know, royalties from that, that, uh, that song. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's getting to be, it's getting to be a bit much guys. Yeah. I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to maintain this. It's tough. You know? Well, as long as the checks keep coming in, I bet you can keep it going. Well, I know, but I'm, you know, I feel funny about that because it's a lot of money and I don't want to, I don't want to abuse that kind of cash. And, uh, so I, I need you boys to help me with that. It creates need, a lot uh, of temptations, I, I to, doesn't it, Big R? It I does, mean, man. I, I need you to, uh, I need some counseling. Yeah. So maybe we can do that off the air. You need a little wartime lifestyle. Ooh, you I do. There yeah. You maybe you can, maybe, maybe you can help me with that pipe, you know? Yeah. I'm an expert. <laughs> Boys, we have uh, we have done what we always do on this program in that we have wandered to and far. And uh, I suggest that we all uh, leave the studio and, and get ourselves into a wartime lifestyle as it pertains to our diets before live in Louisville and as it pertains to our outlook on the kinds of excess and, and decadence that we're going to be presented with there. Um, so I'm going to leave and go do that. And until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.